So we went and saw this comedian who I had never heard of, who my campus had spent money to fly in from halfway across the country. So apparently he was somebody and he was hysterical. He was amazing. And he was just an honest to good, you know, he was just a working class comedian, basically. And that is when I realized magic was an actual career option. You are now tuned in to the Macy Muse Unplugged, a pop-up podcast variety show helping consultants along their journey to greatness with your host, management consultant, author, and blogger, Christy Lindor. Hey, my go-getters. Welcome to the Macy Muse Unplugged podcast show. I'm your host, Christy Lindor. Uh, Super thrilled to be bringing you episode 48. And go-getters, I'm really excited to be talking to you. I had to take a little bit of a health break for the past couple of weeks. I've been sick. I had like bronchitis, then that turned into another type of respiratory infection issue. And it was really tough, but I'm really excited to be back and bringing you another new episode. So I've got a a lot of cool announcements to share with you and they are long awaited. I've been talking and thinking about this for some time, but before I do that, I wanna actually take a moment and introduce today's guest that we have on the show. So we have Brian Miller on today's show, a little bit about Brian. He is a professional speaker. He's a TEDx coach and go-getter. He's also a magician. And in today's episode, we're actually going to connect with Brian and help you be able to get some tips and tricks if you are preparing for like a global speech or just a regular, you know, kind of a speaking engagement with clients in front of a conference. Brian is actually going to give some really cool tips. And go-getters, Brian was actually one of my speaking coaches. I mentioned to you all before in past episodes, I just did a TEDx talk in Zaragoza, Spain, and that link has been released. So I'm going to also, if you click on the show notes in today's episode, you'll be able to kind of check out the TEDx talk. It was released two weeks ago, and I I literally got sick, and I haven't been able to share it with you all. So check that out. I'll put that out there. But yeah, so we're going to talk with Brian and have a really cool conversation about how you can really take your speaking game to the next level, which is awesome. A couple of announcements, as I mentioned, before we get into today's interview go-getters I've been doing a lot of soul searching about the show and if you recall when I started the show or for those that you know may have not listened to some of the past episodes when I first started the show I mentioned and I continuously called it a pop-up podcast because I wasn't sure how long I was going to be doing this show you know I originally thought I was gonna do it for like a couple months and try it out I've never done podcasting before And by nature, I'm usually uh, more of an introvert, but I said, you know, I'm gonna get out of my shell. I'm gonna try this out and really share my perspectives and really help consultants on their journey to greatness. And so I was able to push forth and it's been such an amazing ride, go-getters. As I've mentioned to you, we've got listenership across the world, which is fantastic. And I've been kind of doing some soul searching. So, you know, I'm always getting feedback about the show from listeners. And one thing that I continue to hear 
hear, which I found fascinating, was that while my guests are awesome and the interviews are insightful and really helpful, a lot of my listeners are telling me they want to hear more from me. They want to hear me. They want to kind of hear some of my stories and hear kind of some of my ideas and insights, which is which is flattering. <laughs> but I, I actually, when I created the show, I did make it for it to be a variety show. And I do share perspectives from time to time, but people want to hear more from me. So, you know, I've gotten that message loud and clear. I think the other thing that I've also realized in this, you know, having the podcast and this pop-up platform is that I've also realized that now that I'm used to podcasting, I enjoy it. It's something that I can see myself doing for a long time. I actually, I want to talk about more things. So while yes, I love consulting and that's definitely one of the things that I'm very passionate about. You know, I'm passionate about a lot of other things and I'm sure all of my go-getters out there are as well. And, you know, I feel like this platform, while it's been really awesome, I really want to kind of expand it out a little bit more. I want to kind of do something a little different, bring more of my personal style into it and talk about consulting and a whole other host of topics that are trending, that are interesting, that, you know, definitely want to kind of bring insights and help you along your journey to greatness. And so I kind of thought about this go-getters long and hard and I've got good news and bad news. So let me kind of preface it that way. So (laughs) I'll start with the bad news. I think people sometimes want the bad news first. So I'll start with the bad news. So, and it's not really bad news. So the bad news is that I have decided to end the show. So the Meesey Muse Unplugged pop-up podcast will end. It's going to actually end. uh, The last show will be on July 13th this year, which is by the way, my birthday, just put that out as a PSA announcement, hint, hint, wink, wink. So yes, so Me See Me's Unplugged podcast is going to end July 13th. And we're going to kind of wrap up this, and it was an experiment, right? Um, we're gonna wrap this up. And I think it was a very successful experiment given the amazing people I've had a chance to meet, the amazing stories I've heard of the impact the information we've shared, the amazing listenership and reach that we've been able to create throughout the world. I mean, I never thought the show would ever get to this point. I really didn't. And for that, I'm so grateful for, you know, that opportunity that you all kind of put in me and still, you know, hearing the insights, people wanting to be on the show. It's been pretty awesome ride. So that's so, so bad news. And I don't think it's bad news because the good news is I've actually decided that I'm going to start another show. So I'm going to shut down the Missing News Unplugged, July 13th, 2018. And I'm going to pick up and start a new show, a new podcast show in the fall. And so I'm going to take a break. I want to kind of think through what my platform will be. Like I said, it'll be consulting plus. I'll still talk about consulting. I'll still talk about a lot of other topics. So, you know, I do, you know, the type of consulting work I do is in the people, human capital space. It's, I do a lot of organizational change management and culture and talent development, you know, digital transformation work. So, you know, I want to talk about some of those topics, but I also go getters. I want to talk about some of the current trending topics. There's so much going on in the world. I really want to talk about those things as well. And I want to kind of bring my perspective. And so I'm going to take a step with you all. I'm going to, you know, bring a little bit more of myself and my perspectives as people have asked. And I hope you'll appreciate that. So I don't have a start date for the new show yet. Like I said, I'm still thinking it through. I actually still need a name. So I was actually thinking about calling the show the Christy Lindor show, but I don't know. I feel like that's safe. 
I don't know, go-getters, you know, what you all like. So I'm going to ask you all to help me come up with a name, a name for my new podcast show. So I'm going to put that out there. On, I'm also going to put it out there on my social network. So feel free to drop me a line, mecemusunplugged at gmail.com. If you've got some ideas for names and suggestions of the show, like I said, it's going to be kind of across the board, talking about different topics, not just consulting, but something that, you know, is more about, you know, for me to kind of, you know, rebrand, reposition the show a little differently. So ending the Me See Me's Unplugged podcast, we're going to start up a new podcast show. Give us your thoughts, topics you want to hear, conversations you want to hear, people we guest that you may want to see on the show that, you know, we didn't have before, you know, just kind of let me know what you're thinking. I'm going to, you know, continue to formulate my plan. And I'm hopeful by the time we get to the end date of Macy Me News Unplugged show in July, I'm hopeful I'll have more information about where the show is headed. All right. So again, thank you so, so much. And yeah, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Brian. Check out my new TEDx talk. Let me know what you think. And let's get started. So, Brian, welcome to the Meesey Muse today. How are you doing? Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and actually kind of be on the receiving end after we've spent the last few months with me kind of coaching you. I just kind of get to be here in the passenger seat for a moment. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, go getters, I think you will really enjoy my conversation with Brian and all the things he has to share. He has such an interesting background. So I guess before we get started with today's interview, maybe if you can take a moment to introduce yourself to the go getters of the Missy Museum Plug. Sure. So as you said, my name is Brian Miller. I work with people and organizations who want to you know, engage and entertain their guests. That's where I built my career as a magician. I was a professional magician at 16. That's when I founded my business legally. And it's literally all I've ever done since. I put myself through college with magic and then just kept doing it. So I've never had another job apart from McDonald's when I was 16 years old. I did that for a year and I quit the day that I realized I could make more money in an hour doing magic than I was making in a week over that hot grill at McDonald's, even at 16. So I pursued magic as a career and really got to build it to a, a national scale. I put in the work for a lot of years and learned the business and was a nationally touring magician, comedy magician, until I started getting invited to give speeches. And I had never wanted to be a speaker at all. I had never imagined being a speaker. I never even thought about it. So at the beginning, I would get invited to speak on whatever topic that event wanted me to speak on. You know, come speak to our group about success. Come speak to our group about deception, you know, that kind of a thing. But it was my TEDx talk when I did that and it blew up. It went viral. If you know my name at all, and you probably don't, but if you know it, it's from my TEDx talk. It's just about to hit 3 million views. It went viral in its first six months. It went like a, you know, a million views right away. And that gave me a global platform where I started traveling internationally as a professional speaker, where my topic is communication and connection. So I'm, essentially, I'm a communications specialist. What I work with audiences and organizations about is how to create meaningful connections with the people in your life by learning to take on other perspectives. So 
that's my little story. Such a fascinating journey, Brian. I think one thing that I'm dying to know, you mentioned, you know, that transition from working at McDonald's and full disclosure, I actually don't share this with a lot of people. Now everyone will know, but my first job when I was like, I think it was like 14 years old was at McDonald's too. So I know, (laughs) I know firsthand about that hot grill. So that's so funny. However, we pivot really quickly. How did you figure out that? being a magician was your thing. Like, can you maybe share a story of that aha moment? Yeah, yeah. The aha moment. And I mean, full disclosure, the aha moment was money initially. It was, I was 16. And again, I was working in the grill at McDonald's and it was fine. I didn't hate it, like whatever. But at that time I had already been doing magic. I got my first paid magic gig when I was like 13 or 14. Some local youth group offered to pay me, I don't know, $20, right? They said, oh, come do, you know, you do magic tricks, right? Come do a magic show for our group. And I did it. And that was actually the first aha moment. That was my light bulb when I realized for the first time I could get paid to do magic. I was like 14. And that idea had never existed, right? Magic was just like this fun thing I did for me and my friends. It it was just a hobby. It was, that wasn't a job, but then someone offered to pay me to do it. And that just kind of stuck. And so yeah. So then that first year at McDonald's, I was doing occasional house parties with magic and, you know, some local events. And then, yeah, one of them was, I think it was a maybe a mall. Somebody paid me, I think it was in the realm of like $200 to go do magic for like an hour or two at their event. And that was just, it blew my mind that I could get paid that much money to do card tricks, right? I mean, I was just goofing around, you know, it was just magic. And so it, it was the moment when I realized there was something to this, that people were willing to pay for this. It wasn't just a hobby. But to answer your more specific question, the real aha moment was actually the first week of my freshman year of college. I was at college and it was the first week and I had just met all the new people and I, we were in the dorms and it was, you know, totally new experience, right? Best year of your life for most people, right? For me as well. And, you know, apart from getting married and all that. So what happened was a bunch of my friends said, let's go see the comedian. And I was like, what comedian? And they said, well, there's a comedian on campus tonight. And I said, who is it? And they told me his name and I had never heard of him. I said, well, like, what do you mean there's, he's a comedian? I've never heard of him. See, at the time, right, we grew up before social media. We came up, right, you know, we're in the same boat here, right? We came up before social media, before YouTube, before Google. So I didn't know that you could make a living as a comedian or a magician or a juggler, unless you were, I I thought you had to be famous to make a living doing that, right? Jerry Seinfeld's a comedian. Well, of course he is because he's famous. David Copperfield's a magician because he's famous. What I didn't realize because we didn't have the kind of access to Google and YouTube and social media is that there are thousands and thousands of full-time entertainers making good livings, supporting their families, and you'll never hear of them. And so we went and saw this comedian who I had never heard of, who my campus had spent money to fly in from halfway across the country. So apparently he was somebody and he was hysterical. He was amazing. And he was just an honest to good, you know, he was just a working class comedian, basically. And that is when I realized magic was an actual career option. Yeah, that was the moment I realized you could actually do this. You didn't have to be famous. You know, I think what's interesting about the story you just shared, I think I held on, I have the same belief system Brian. I never really, there's certain roles, you know, I'm like, Brian's right. I never thought, you know, that there was this kind of this gray area. I always thought the extremes like yourself, like you had to be famous to be X. 
And so magicians, yes, but I can think of a number of different roles that people have. And I'm like, well, you've, you've got to be famous to do that. So I, so right. thank you for opening up kind of that world of possibility. And I'm yeah. sure others may have as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it really was a powerful, powerful moment for me. And then, you know, so it's funny because when I think about, I mean, one of the most common things people say, right, when I meet people in a social situation or you know, like at a party or even when I'm working, when I'm actually at a show, you know, backstage or doing a show and people will meet me and they'll say, oh, you're a magician. I'll say, yeah. And they'll say, what's your day job? I mean, people still say that. They say that <laughs> even when I'm literally at the show. Like, it just happened recently. I was in, I don't know, I was halfway across the country, and I, I had been, it was somebody from the board that flew me in. I mean, they were paying big bucks for me to be there, and they said, what's your day job? And I was like, no, this is it. I do this for a living. <laughs> like, yeah, but besides magic, what's your other thing? Like, well, besides magic, I'm a professional speaker, but I know that's not what you're asking right now because that seems equally ridiculous. Yeah, I think we get embedded from childhood, right? Right away, we get embedded that kind of, that nine to five, you know, you have to clock in, clock out for someone else's vision. That's the only real job. And the world changed so much. That job, those jobs hardly even exist anymore. Right. Most people in some capacity are working for themselves, even if they're clocking in and out for somebody else. You know, millennials, you know, that term that, you know, we all hate. That group, they're coming up in a very different work environment, at least in America, you know, where the idea that you don't get into a company and stay there for 40 years and then retire, you know, you change jobs every couple of years, you try new roles within the company, you go out for yourself for a few years, then you come back, you know, that idea of creating your own world, creating, you know, pursuing your vision, it's not just reserved for people like magicians anymore. I think everybody has that opportunity now. It's, it's really exciting. Right, right. I would totally agree with that. Because to your point, People used to just have like one or two jobs and that was the only thing that, you know, you had. And, and I remember actually back then, if someone had a resume and they had like two, three jobs on their resume, they had like job top, you know, and only stuck a year here, a year there. That used to be very taboo. It's funny to say that now because I think people expect people to job hop and people expect for there to be a lot more kind of transitional type of work. So I want to say the average worker nowadays has, it's going to have, you know, between like 12, 15 to like 20 jobs in a lifetime, as opposed to before where it was like one or two tops, right? I agree. And I think that it's so important that you do because I believe, and I preach this all the time, I believe your experiences, not your results define who you are. Mm -hmm. I think that life is about gaining experiences. And the more experiences you get, you are not going to succeed at all of them. It's just not possible, right? And it's letting go of that. You know, it's a cliche, but it's letting go of that fear of failure and understanding, you know, what we've all heard that failures are the stepping stones of success. You know, every time you get a new experience, you know, success will come, you know, it'll come. Results come and results vary. I say that all the time, right? You can do everything right and fail. We have all been in a situation where you look back and you go, there's literally nothing I could have done different or better. Right. And you can also do everything wrong and succeed in spite of it, just by luck, just by chance. So I tell people, you know, don't waste your energy trying to avoid failure. Pursue new experiences. That's really the path. Absolutely. Now available on Amazon. Management consultant and author Christy Lindor shares career secrets based on 15 years of experience working at top firms in a new book called The Me See Muse. 
100 plus selected practices on written rules and habits of great consultants. The Misi Muse provides insights, stories and strategies on the unwritten rules of the consulting profession. Christy conducted research and connected with 50 plus industry titans across 27 professional service organizations on what makes a great consultant. For book reviews, tour dates and more info, go to www.mecnews.us. I want to pivot, you know, so you, you've built a successful career as a magician. Tell us how, you know, you had the opportunity to give your TED Talk and what your talk was about. Right. So my TEDx talk is called How to Magically Connect with Anyone. It's about how magicians have mastered the ability to take on other perspectives in order to create wonder and connect with the audience because the magician is the only person who cannot see the magic because we know how the trick works. I can't see the magic because I'm literally looking at it visually from the wrong perspective. I see the secret when I'm doing it and I can't experience it because I'm creating it. So in order to create magic, magicians must put ourselves in the perspective of the audience. And so magicians intuitively master this technique that psychologists call perspective taking, which is the ability to see the world from the point of view of another person. And what my platform has become as, as a speaker, working with organizations, you know, businesses, conferences, keynotes, but also working with students and educators doing some youth motivational speaking, my platform has become all about how to take on other perspectives, to create better and more meaningful relationships with the people in your life, personally and professionally. I think the idea is like to be happier at home and more successful at work, but also to be happier at work and more successful at home. And I think people don't get that second one very often. And perspective taking, I think, is such a critical skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. What are some ways that, you know, you've been able to really build that muscle? Any hacks or tips you can share? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I teach two things in the TEDx talk itself, and I teach a whole lot more, you know, in my live, you know, presentations, workshops, keynotes, that whole thing. The first and foremost, the easiest way to take on somebody else's perspective, because it sounds hard. It sounds like mind reading. When you first, you're like, well, how could I ever get into their point of view, their perspective, especially I'm talking about emotional perspectives, right? How does somebody feel about our interaction? That's the question that we're after. And it's a hard question to answer. So the way to answer it, the way to do it is just ask, ask people questions. And I say this all the time, too often we're afraid to ask people questions because we think it'll be rude or that like they won't want to answer. But when you ask questions, and when I say questions, I mean meaningful and relevant questions. Don't memorize a list of conversation starters and rattle them off. We can all detect when that's happening. It's so obvious when someone is just, you know, going down a list of prearranged questions. But when you ask meaningful and relevant questions to people, you will find out exactly, you know, not precisely, not exactly. You're never going to find out the entirety of their perspective, but you will be able to bridge the gap and figure out how to adjust your tone, your demeanor, and even your language to help them feel understood and make a connection. I love that. And go getters, we'll make sure to put a link to Brian's TEDx talk so you can check it out. Three million. So, you know, I want to go back to that. When you said it hit like millions of views, like when did you realize your talk was a hit? (laughs) It wasn't immediate, actually. I thought it was all for naught. The first day I got about 1,100 views because I had planned, you know, strategically, and yours hasn't hit yet, so we can still talk about this. I had strategically planned how to 
promote it the day it hit YouTube. You know, I had email blasts ready to go out to my subscribers and, you know, Facebook and social media. And so day one, like 1,100 views, uh, which is, you know, nothing to write home about. And that's just everybody that's ever cared about me that was ever going to watch it, right? That's it. I exhausted, I think Simon Sinek said it way, way, way back when his talk hit. He said, I exhausted my Rolodex, which is a very old fashioned term. But that, that was it, right? In one day, everyone that had ever cared about me or was ever going to watch it, watched it. And then it died. Two weeks, it only crawled up to like 1,500 over the next two weeks. And I was like, well... Three months of rehearsal and all that preparation, that's it, right? It's over. It was worth a shot. And then my wife and I were flying down, at the time, fiance, actually. We were flying down to visit my grandparents in Florida. And I think we were like heading to the airport. And she said, oh, you didn't tell me your talk hit 2,000 views. And I said, I didn't know. I stopped looking. It was like two weeks ago. And by the time we landed in Florida, it was at like 4,000. And by the end of that weekend, it was at 8,000. And then it just took off. It was a rocket. It was really actually cool that it started taking off while I was with my grandparents. Uh, they they had a blast at checking in at, like you know, once a day while I was there and seeing the views go up. Then within a month, I think it was at 100,000. And within six months, it was at a million. And now it's about to hit three a few years later. It just exploded. I don't know. I don't know what how it caught after the initial lull in that first two weeks. But I think it was the story. And I don't want to tell it here. Sure. Uh, there's a story about a gentleman that I met and performed magic for. That's the reason that the talk became so popular. You'll enjoy it. Your listeners will enjoy it if they get a chance to go listen. That's awesome. Yeah, and I enjoyed it as well. So I definitely, I can see why, but I think it's just, you know, you in that moment and seeing the numbers just climb. I don't know if I checked. Is your talk on, on TED.com? It's a TEDx talk. It was never picked up by TED Global in spite of being much more popular than many of the actual TED talks themselves. But no, it's actually, it's, I think the third, even if you include all, even all TED talks, TED Global talks, it's the third most popular TED talk that's ever been given by a magician. Wow. including all the tech level ones. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> Man. So after you hit, I just learned this term the other day, you, your talk was a lightning rod. After that talk, have you had other major global types of talks like that that's resulted from the TEDx? Or, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. That, if there was ever a time to talk about overnight success, that was it, right? You know, and when, but just like always, when people talk about overnight success, I had a decade in live entertainment at the point I gave that talk. And it never would have been as good as it was or catch like that if I wasn't ready for it, right? So there is right. no such thing as overnight success. But what happened was I had spent 10 years grinding and building my career to a relatively successful national entertainer. And that turned me into a global celebrity overnight. It's kind of amazing. I started getting invited you know, to speak. I've spoken all over the world and presented my magic. It led to the United States Navy, Navy Entertainment calling me. It kind of indirectly led to that because it gave me so much credit. So I ended up hooking up with uh, Navy Entertainment. And I've done now three tours for the American troops overseas stationed on military bases. So I've wow. gone to, with them, I've gone to Spain and Italy, Bahrain in the Middle East and Djibouti, Africa, and then like all over Asia, like Japan, Guam, South Korea, Singapore. I've gone all over and done magic for the troops and their families, yeah, that are, you know, like stuck, right? They can't leave their own bases. So it kind of indirectly led to that. It's been incredible. The goofiest moment for me was I actually got invited to give the opening keynote 
at an international oncology conference for Teva Pharmaceuticals, which is like, I think they're the number one manufacturer of generic drugs in the world, and they have an annual oncology conference. So they flew me to Barcelona for their conference, and there were like 200 invitation-only attendees, invitation-only, mostly oncologists, and the three speakers for the conference were two world-class oncologists with groundbreaking research in the field (laughs) and me, (laughs) And, and I got introduced as an expert. So, you know, I didn't give them that, you know, I didn't tell them to say that I didn't, whatever. I got introduced as an expert in connections, basically. And so, yeah, the, the TEDx talk gave me a platform that I don't know how I would have ever had otherwise. And so the last three years since then has been kind of taking that gift and turning it into kind of phase two of my career, shifting out of magic and into professional speaking. I use magic in all of my speeches to engage the audience and give them a way to remember what I'm talking about. But half of my annual work is not magic anymore. It's speaking and workshops and working with speakers. Right, right. What a ride. What a ride, Brian. I feel like I've heard you tell me this story when you and I were working, but I feel like every time I hear it, it's like it's brand new again. It's just so amazing to hear the wild success. You know, if go-getters are hearing this and they're like, man, and you know, if we take it back to the world of consulting, right? And Mm how to prepare. So I think what I heard you say is that, well, yes, on the outside looking in, people may see your success and equate that to just, it was just kind of dumb luck, but it actually wasn't. You did, you were very intentional in not only how you prepared for the talk, but in also in how you socialized it, how you, you know, you put it out there and for people to be able to be aware of it. And then because the content of the talk was so good and, you know, you had done so much work there, it spoke for itself. If someone's thinking of those kind of key themes and they're preparing for, you know, a global speech, right? It may not be a TEDx talk, but Mm -hmm. they're preparing for something global or even something as a proposal, you know, that they're doing a presentation in front of a major client. What would be some of the things that, you know, techniques that that person should consider? So we know preparation is definitely it. What other things you think they should consider? Uh, Yeah, I would say the biggest pitfall that I see speakers make, but I also see magicians and, you know, entertainers, comedians, and I'm sure that you would see consultants make, I have a feeling it because it's very similar, you know, what you're doing as consultants. I think the biggest pitfall is being too focused on I instead of focusing on you. When you're speaking, I think a lot of people approach it from what am I trying to get out of this, right? Like I'm trying to land the client. If mm-hmm. you're a consultant, you know, I'm trying to solve the problem. If you're a consultant, right? Consultants are problem solvers. I'm trying to solve, if you're a speaker, you know, I'm trying to push my message. Focusing on I, and you can see it in written speeches too. If you, you know, if you've written out your speech and you're rehearsing it, you can actually see how many times you say I. And I always tell people, focus on shifting I to you anytime you can when you're writing your speech. Whenever you're thinking about saying I something, Figure out how to shift it and say you. And the idea is to ask yourself, don't ask yourself, what can I get from the audience? Because that's where I went wrong in the beginning of my career. And most entertainers go wrong. And I think most speakers go wrong. As a magician, I would be up there, you know, I wanted to get a certain reaction from them. I was trying to get them to scream or get them to applaud. But when you shift from what can I get from the audience to what can I give to the audience? right? Instead of trying to get a reaction from them, I was trying to give them a feeling of wonder, right? Same trick. I was doing the same magic trick. And as a speaker, same thing. I'm not trying to get them to adopt my message. I'm trying to 
give them the tools to make connections with people. And when you shift from that, what can I get to what can I give? I think that you put the focus on the audience and that's where you connect. That's when, whether you're a speaker or a magician or a comedian or a consultant, I think that's when you succeed is when you put it on them. Right, right. And I feel like that goes back to your perspective taking concept as well. Yeah. And it's really kind of how do you incorporate that thinking into your speech? And it's funny because I feel like that also, if we think about in today's world, there's a lot of focus and emphasis on UX, on user-centered mm-hmm. design, mm-hmm. user-centered content. So it's really that shift. And I think the perspective taking skill is, is really important and making sure that that weaves in. You know, I think one thing that you helped me realize when I was working with you and doing my TED Talk is, I guess for me, I'm very, what is it, literal? I don't know if the word is literal, but I'm used to writing a lot, right? So I'm used to whether, you know, it was for my book, it was for my blogs, it's for my deliverables with my client. So I'm used to writing a lot, but what I learned in working with you is that the written word does not always translate into the spoken word. And that was for me, that was one of the biggest key things. And maybe, you know, others listening to this may be like, duh, but for me, that was really huge because this was the first written speech I had ever done in my life. And I really had to learn that painfully. What are some of your thoughts, you know, when you was working with me, when I finally figured that out with you? Yeah, that (laughs) I think that was one of your aha moments during this process. I think we hit that in the very first session when I, it was just the very first draft. Your original written speech, like where it went from where it was to it really morphed over the course of the process. It became really, really strong by the end of it. So I'm really excited to see when it hits YouTube. I'm so pumped. But I think the real big aha moment you had at the beginning was when I would, you know, I would look at something you had written and I would kind of go, this isn't going to work for the audience. And you kind of had that, you know, why? This is how I, this is it. This is what I want to say. And I had to get you to say stuff out loud a bunch of times, like say that out loud and go, there's too many words in here that the audience, I guess the big point is the difference between writing and speaking is in writing, you get to, if you're reading something, right, as an audience, if you're reading it, you get to read it a couple of times and really grab the meaning. But when you're listening to a speaker, you have to hear what they're saying, understand what it means, and figure out how you feel about it all in the same time, all in a split second. So when you're speaking, you have to, for me, it's all clarity. I feel like the biggest thing that I help people with, and I think that we did, if you think about all the different things, is clarity from beginning to end. I think it's really important to make sure that only the words that are absolutely necessary are being spoken. Right, right. That was just for me, again, such an insightful moment. And then, so I really enjoyed working with you and going through that journey. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how people responded to the talk. Any other thoughts in terms of if someone's looking at preparing for a major speech or doing a proposal or anything, any other kind of thoughts you want to share? Sure. I think, you know, we glossed over, you know, you said, well, obviously prepare, but I really do think that that's something that people do gloss over, to be honest, is that preparation. When I gave my talk on the day of that talk, after I was done giving the TEDx and at lunch, somebody came up to me and they said, wow, that was really good. Did you rehearse that? And I remember thinking, did I rehearse that? Did you not? You know, and, 
And, and you just saw, you told right. me right away when you were done with your talk, you said, even though every other speaker at your conference was speaking a language you didn't understand, you were the only English speaker there, which is crazy. I don't even know how you did that. But you said you could even tell in a different language that people hadn't rehearsed. And I think people get this idea that I know my topic. I know what I talk about. I know what I care about. I'm just going to go up and speak from the heart. And that is the surest way to failure in speaking, in, in professional speaking. Whether you're giving a boardroom pitch or even if you're not giving like a formal speech, I think that rehearsing your major points, if not the entirety of your speech. I mean, I did over 200 word-for-word -word rehearsals leading up to the TEDx. And I do that for most of my presentations. I mean, I have a keynote that I deliver that's pretty much the same every time. I don't need to do it for every speech anymore. But I still rehearse anything new between one and 200 times because you have to first memorize it. That's the first begin, right? The beginning process is just memorizing it. Once you've memorized it, then you get robotic. And we went through that, right? Right, right. Once you memorize it, then you're like, now I'm just trying to remember the speech. So then you start giving it robotically. So then you have to do a ton more rehearsing to get the memorized speech to stop sounding robotic and start sounding like it's not a memorized speech. And that last part is really important. Because when you're listening to someone speak and it sounds like they're just rattling off something they memorized, you don't connect with them at all. It throws a wall up. So you have to memorize it and then you have to rehearse your memorization to the point that it doesn't sound rehearsed anymore. And I think that's where great speakers really connect with audiences is by being really well rehearsed and it doesn't feel like they're rehearsed. Right. And it's so fascinating to go through that journey because it, to your point, I think what I've realized, and I actually, by the time I hit the stage, I think I had done my speech 198 times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think what's fascinating when it gets to that point that it's just like, it's a muscle memory, you're able to freestyle. So there's been, there were times where I didn't say word for word what I had written or what I rehearsed, but I had, you know, such a good concept of right. it. I was able to kind of freestyle even even though I had rehearsed it, there was a moment that I was able to kind of, there was a part that I wanted people to laugh and only a couple folks laughed. And so I kind of stopped and I gave them permission to laugh. Right. I, I said, you know, I said something. Right. And it was because I was just so comfortable with what my content was. Even if, you know, someone coughed or something happened, it wouldn't have thrown me off because I was just so in the zone and present. That's it, though, is that when people say they just want to go up and speak from the heart, the best way to speak from the heart is to know your content cold, right? right? When you've done 200 rehearsals and you know your content through and through, then you can actually speak from the heart because you can always regain your footing. If you go off on a little tangent, you know how to come back. You won't throw yourself off or lose yourself because you've mastered your content. And what, you, what you're just talking about, I call that rehearsed improv. I do that okay. in, in every show, in every speech. You're going off the cuff, but you're going off the cuff in a way that you've rehearsed. Does that make sense? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That makes total sense. I like yeah. the word. I, I'm going to use that rehearsed improv. Well, you know, this was such a really great conversation, Brian. Thank you so much for being on the show. I guess, you know, would love to have you in the future and would love to have you share information. If people want to get a hold of you, how can they connect with you? And I think you also, you actually have a gift for our listeners today as well. 
I do. I do. Yeah. So I've got a download. It's a five common TEDx mistakes and what to do instead. Now, even if you're not planning a TEDx talk or you're not planning on giving one, these are techniques and strategies and things to avoid in any presentation. And most of the things in this ebook are also applicable, even if you're not giving a presentation, but if you're a consultant and you're working with other people, these are things you can use. So I've got a page for your listeners on my website. So if you go to brianmillerspeaks.com slash the Misi Muse, brianmillerspeaks.com slash the Misi Muse, just like it's supposed to be spelled the way you spell it, you will be able to grab that download right there. And from there, you can find me on social media, connect with me, email me, say hello, whatever you like. I think that page also has the TEDx talk, my talk. So if you're interested in seeing that and hearing that cool story, but yeah, you'll get that download, which I think will be a real, real value to your listeners. Awesome. And go-getters, we'll also put all the links to what Brian shared out on the show notes. But Brian, as always, it's been a pleasure. Go-getters, if you are looking for a coach, a speaking coach, Brian is the real deal. I really, really enjoyed working with you and I hope to work with you. I know there's other stuff coming with my talk. So I definitely look forward to working with you some more in the future. Absolutely. This is a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, my go-getters, for tuning in today. This is Christy Lindor signing out with the Meesey Muse Unplugged Pop-Up Podcast. Here's to your journey to greatness. Tune in every Friday for new episodes syndicated on iTunes, Google Play Music, and many more. Visit www.meesymuse.com for more information. 